well, this is, this is the last in this series called Transforming Grace. And really, it was a follow-on from all the teaching we did in the first, I don't know, five and a half months of the year on Romans. And uh, I'm going to take you back full circle today to the first sermon uh, in January. And we're going to end up where we started. Because what Paul said right at the outset, and the, and the verse that changed well, the, the revelation that changed his life, but then changed Martin Luther's life and started the whole Reformation, was this, that the, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for men unto salvation. Yeah, amen. amen. Yeah. And, we, and, and what he goes on to say is, as a result of that, we justify. That means we're made right with God. And we made right with God, not by what we can do, but what Christ has done. And that's why he says the just will live by faith. We don't live by our own flesh. We live by faith in what Christ has done. And we live from our spirits, which we've been given when we were born again. Amen? Amen. Okay, so the, the, the thing is that as we go through life, and some of us before we were born again, some of us since we were born again, we've made messes, we've made mistakes. We've got stuff wrong, we've got ourselves entangled in stuff we shouldn't have got entangled in. Um, we, we, we've not found it possible to break free of some of the stuff that we want to get rid of in our life. And that can get us down. You know, it's, we, we can put on our Sunday face. So I'm not talking to Sunday faces this morning. I'm talking to behind the Sunday faces. And one of, the, one of the things is it, it, we, we can hide things. And as a result of that, we find it hard to get free of those things. I'm here to tell you this morning that however long you've struggled with things, and that whatever mistakes you've made, they do not determine your future. And you can break free of those things. You can, you can be set free of those things. But there's a truth in, in the word, and, and it's this, that right believing leads to right living. And, you know, one of the things that, and I keep saying this week after week because it keeps occurring, is that whenever you put a post up, even if you put a Bible verse up, um, somebody will come and try and, and comment on it and try and diminish what you've said. Because out there, there's a load of people who want to think it depends on our good ourselves, our goodness, our holiness in order to walk free and the truth is that puts us in bondage because if our goodness our holiness, our self effort could get us to walk free, Jesus wouldn't have had to die for us in the first place and that's what we forget we, you know, there's a lot of people in the body of Christ which is, which is sad who want to get us into the kingdom by scaring us with hell and they want to keep us there with fear the thing is, fear doesn't set anybody free. Fear puts you in bondage. And you haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of holiness, peace, and a sound mind. So, so when those things come, we resist them. Because although it looks like, to our human logic, that the way to have victory in our life is to try harder, the truth is the kingdom doesn't work like that. Because it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. 
And that's how we, we, we live and that's how we overcome and that's how we see the victory in our life that Christ has already won to make available to us. So do you get this? And that's why it's so important that we preach the gospel, which is good news, and not the law and self-effort, which is no, not good news at all. Because it's that that God is in our mess, and it's that that's keeping us in our mess. Now, some of you, and, and God just sort of said, I've got to emphasize this, is... Some of you might think you deserve to be in the mess you're in because of what you've done. Well, regardless of how you feel, God intends to break you free of it because he dealt with the stuff that you deserved and took it himself. And you need to hear that. You see, even though at times we might give up on God, God never gives up on us. And that's, that's an incredible thing. You know, he's faithful when we're not faithful. And isn't that good news? Because if it relied on our faithfulness, where would we be? It's a good job he keeps coming after us when we're running away, isn't it? It's a good job he pursues. It's a good job he's the one seeking. And it doesn't rely on us to come seeking him. Because he doesn't give up on us, even though sometimes we give up on him. And wherever you are at a particular moment, God always has a brighter future for you. So right here, right now, wherever you are, whether you, you're like struggling with some stuff or whether you're like singing from the mountaintops, God's got something even better for you. Because God said this, he said it originally to Israel, but as you know from what... You know, the, the, the promises made to Israel, we're grafted into them. We get, we get to access them. Even though we, we, we weren't part of Israel, we get to access them. So Jesus bought us access to that. And one of the things, the promises made to Israel was this, that I have plans prepared for you, says the Lord. Plans not to harm, but plans to give you a future and a hope. So wherever you find yourself right now, you have a future and a hope. There it is. Okay, I was looking at the side ones. It's not on there. <laughs> right, okay. There's the, you see, they're enjoying worship up there, aren't they, as well? <laughs> this is good. Now, you see, sometimes we think the way we feel is the same way as God feels. So if we feel ashamed, if we feel guilty, if we feel like we're a failure, we assume that's the way God sees us. But God doesn't see us as condemned. He doesn't see us as ashamed. He doesn't see us as a failure. Because God is a God of faith. And so he knows he has plans prepared for us that give us a future and a hope wherever we are. And he exercises that faith to believe for us. So God looks at us and he sees where we are. But more importantly, he sees where we can go. And he's looking, like he tells us to do, at the things which are not yet seen and believing them as if they are until they are. So the good news of that is that right now, God is exercising his faith for your future. That's kind of mind-bending, isn't it? Okay, that, that, 
I'm excited about that because you just told me that. That's not in my notes. That God is exercising his faith because he believes in your future. So it's not down to you. It's not just down to you. It's down to him too. And he's working on your behalf. And, and the question is, what do we do with that? What do we do with that when, we, when we're stuck in that place and our lives are in a mess? We've made mistakes. We've done wrong things. We feel ashamed. We feel guilty. We're carrying shame around with us. And we feel like we're a total failure at this Christian walk. And it feels like God should be miles off. Well, I'm here to tell you right now, God is not miles off. God is right here, right next to you, and you have open access to his presence. In your time of need, you can go boldly before the throne of grace and get the grace you need to overcome and to walk free of what's troubling you, to walk free of what's got a hold on you. Line one. (laughs) Whoops. No. You see, this is what God says, Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18. How precious are your thoughts towards me, O God? How vast is the sum of them? If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Now, that sounds nice, doesn't it? But actually, that is incredible. Because what that's saying is you are on God's mind. He's thinking about you. And he's thinking good things about you. He's thinking precious things about you. In fact, so many things that God's thinking about you and seeing as possibilities for you and and things for your future, you can't even count them. Like, like Abraham couldn't count the, the number of offspring he was going to get. You can't count the number of thoughts that God's got towards you. Amen. And I want you to see that they're... Oh. Yeah, get me dressed properly. I want you to see that they're precious thoughts. Okay, they're not thoughts of judgment. They're not thoughts of fear. They're not thoughts of you're useless, you should be ashamed of yourself. They're not thoughts of condemnation. They're precious thoughts, and God's got them about you. And that means that wherever you find yourself right now and wherever you found yourself, there's hope for a better future. So the truth is this, the more you build a rock-solid foundation in your relationship with God and you press in to understand his love for you, the more you'll find you'll experience breakthrough. Now, let me say that again. The more you build a rock-solid foundation in your relationship with God, and you press in to understand his love for you, the more you'll find you experience breakthrough. Amen. That should get a really big amen. So can we try that again? (laughs) The more you build a rock-solid foundation in your relationship with God and press in to understand his love for you, the more you'll find you'll experience breakthrough. Amen. 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 Now, the point of that is, why I got you to amen that, is that that is contrary to what a lot of people think. A lot of people think that you have to sort yourself out to get the breakthrough. You have to be holy and, 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 and righteous in order for God to do anything. 
But the truth is, we experience breakthrough by knowing how much we are loved by God. And the more we are drawn into relationship with him, the more we change. We are no longer changed by rules and we're no longer changed by self-effort. We are changed by experiencing the heart of the Father. We are changed by experiencing the relationship and the love of God being real to us. And, and the trouble is that a lot of us have got cut off from that because all we've been told is fear God or you're going to hell. Sort your life out or you're going to hell. On your knees, repent, boy. On your knees, cry. On your knees, you sort it out. And then perhaps one day, if we're all holy enough, God will come. Well, God came 2,000 years ago and he opened the way to heaven and nobody can shut it. Amen. He's there right whether you're on the high or the low. And what he's after is you to understand that, that he loves you so much that he wants you to draw, draw you into that love so you can change. Yes. So here's the question. How do born-again believers who sincerely want to live holy lives still end up in a cycle of defeat and sin? Because that's the crux of the question. That's what all these great theologians argue about. You see, one of the things that, well, particularly I've discovered, Cheryl's aware of it, but I've experienced it over the last X number of years in ministry, is that a lot of stuff in our life stays hidden. Uh, Because we've got this sense that we carry so much shame and guilt about the thing, that we wouldn't want anybody else in in church to know about it, even the pastor. There's a problem with that, that when the Holy Spirit is moving and you you encounter God, it throws all sorts of stuff up that you need to deal with. And and one of the things that we've seen over the years, and um, this is primarily a man problem, but not solely a man problem these days, is the issue of addiction to pornography. If you um, measured the size of the industry that relies on pornography, that industry alone would be the 16th ranked biggest GDP in the world. It's huge. And it's getting bigger because of the internet. And there's a lot of people that are stuck in it. And we, you know, we've ministered to people over the years, in particular I've ministered to some guys over the years who, who had a real problem with it. And they they found it really difficult to break free of it. And they were shamed. They hid it. Um, When it did come out, they felt a failure because they couldn't beat it. Because there's something about images that are harder to get rid of than words. And, And they needed healing, but they couldn't find that healing. So they tried all sorts of things. You know, they tried like multiple wailing, crying, more prayer, more Bible reading, um, really just, in some ways, demeaning themselves. Um, they tried locks on computer screens, but they still managed to find news agents. And, and when they, they stopped going into the news agents, then they'd find that they got access to internet cafes. And, and you could always find a way of doing it, whatever things you put in to stop you doing it. And the trouble was that the more they got locked into it, the more ashamed they felt and the further away from God they felt. 
And so I'm talking this morning, and this is sometimes where, where we get a bit confused. I'm talking this morning to believers who want to change. You know, when you, when you, when you realise that, that that's who you're talking to, it changes the whole playing field for what you're talking about. You see, sometimes we, we talk to believers who want to change the same way as we talk to unbelievers who don't want to change. And that, that causes confusion. And, and we tell believers all the time how bad they are. Because somehow we think that if they could all get their acts together, I could have revival in my church and we could have thousands of people here. And so we, we tell them how bad they are. Because it's safe, and you know, where I go, and, and I want you to understand this, is this is unsafe territory. Because it's really safe for a pastor to tell you what you shouldn't do. Because then nobody could come back and say, well, that went all wrong, didn't it, for you? But what I've found is that nobody gets set free by that. People get set free by knowing how much they're loved by God Amen. and responding to that love. Yeah. You know, that's my observation over years of being a believer and having sampled all sorts of different styles of faith. You, you, you don't get set free by you doing it. You get set free because you realise how much God loves you and you respond to it. And, and basically, if you show me somebody who lives with constant condemnation and guilt and shame, then I'm, I can show you and I can guarantee you that person is struggling with stuff that they need to be set free of. The two go together. And what you find is that we get entrenched in this cycle of condemnation and defeat. Now, you might remember way back when we were doing Romans, one of the things Paul said is, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. And, he, and he, 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 was, he was trying to get out of that by his own willpower and his own uh, efforts. And we'll, we'll return to that in a minute, but I just want you to, to have a think about what was going on there, what he, he was saying. Basically, he got... An, in our own willpower and our own efforts, we get entrenched in a vicious cycle. And the cycle goes a bit like this, that I shouldn't have looked. I shouldn't be having these thoughts. These things should not be in my head. I am so disappointed in me. I just can't do this Christian thing. I feel useless. And we feel distant from God. And as a result, when God is over there with the power to set us free, we are over here and we respond to our flesh and our desires in our flesh and we give in. The trouble with that is that having given in, we now feel more guilty and more condemned. And we now feel further away. But not only do we feel further away, but we feel like we've let everybody down that we know in our church family, but we also feel like we've let God down and he's angry with us. And we don't want the anger, but we can't deal with what's going on in us. And so we indulge it more. And each time we indulge it more, we get trapped in this cycle of condemnation, feeling of failure, feeling of uselessness. 
and, and the more we go there, the more we feel God is angry from us, the more we feel he's distant, and the less help we're able to access. You see, what we've got to understand is if we're going to get any help in this, it's got to come from outsiders. It's got to come by the spirit in the word, working with our spirit. And if the enemy can get us away by using guilt and condemnation and shame, the further he moves us away from God, the less we're able to access the power that will actually set us free and put us right. Does that, does that make sense? Now, that's kind of counterintuitive to most people because in our natural thinking, we wouldn't think of it like that. We, would, we, we, we come up with all sorts of things about why, you know, if, if we worked at it and tried harder we, and, and, and did all the things, read our Bibles more, prayed more, whatever, we'd get back to God. But you can't get back to God without dealing with the shame and the guilt because that's what's separating you in, in your feelings. God's not separated from you, but you are separating from God because you're keeping stuff here that he, you don't believe he can access to deal with. Does that make sense? The way to think about this is that the, the response that we come up with in our head and the response that often gets preached is that if I tell you God is angry with you, you will feel bad enough that you will repent and that'll change things. But it doesn't. Because God's not angry with you. God's wanting to set you free and love you. So we go expecting to find a God of anger and we miss a God of love. So it doesn't set us free. The, the way this cycle works, you know, scripturally, and, and Paul describes in, in Romans, I call it the cycle of defeat. So I like, I know, I know being an accountant, I like diagrams. So I've done you a diagram. But that, that's basically how it works. You, you, when temptation comes, you fail. That produces in you guilt, shame, condemnation, feeling of failure, feeling that you're just no good at this Christian life. Therefore, distancing from God, you give in to sin. But the problem with that is you now experience more defeat in your life and when temptation comes again, you get further from God. So you get locked into this cycle of guilt and shame. So how do you defeat that? How, how do you break out of that cycle? What's going to blow that apart? Um, what's going to break the chains that's got you in? You might remember Jesus in, in John chapter 8. He goes to, they, they bring him this woman who's been caught in adultery. And the, the penalty for adultery is stoning to death. And so all these religious people and, you know, important people come and they say to Jesus, what are you going to do with her? Knowing that the penalty for what she's done is stoning to death. Now, that is the penalty. That is the just punishment for what had happened to what she'd done. There's no doubt about that. 
What is Jesus' response? His response is to say, let you who is without sin cast the first stone. Okay? And they all walk away. You know, you know the story? Because none of them are without sin. It's just different sins. So we're all guilty. And then he says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, it's important you put the two together, not separate them. It is knowing she is free from condemnation that empowers her to go and sin no more. Although Jesus hadn't died at that point, she gets an advanced experience of the new covenant. It's almost like something was pulled the other side of the cross because she encountered Jesus personally. That because she was not condemned by the only one who was without sin, she is now empowered to go and sin no more. Why? Because she knows that the one who is without sin loves her and wants the best for her. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, we're getting this. We're starting to get this. The result of grace is the power to go and sin no more. We've got to understand that. You do not sin, Paul says this in Romans, you do not sin because you are no longer under law, but under grace. You don't sin because you're under grace. Not, you, you don't sin because you realise you're under grace and therefore you follow a load of rules so you don't sin. No, grace is a different system. You don't sin because you're no longer under the old system, you're under the new system. And that is what empowers you to walk free. That is what empowers you to break the cycle. Now, I'm going to show you something. I, I, don't, I don't... I kind of guess we, you might not have seen this before because I hadn't really seen it until I started um, putting this together. Because this, well, as I was preparing, this verse came into my head, which is... A verse, you, you know, many of us know, but it's from um, John chapter 1, verse 17. And the verse says this, that um, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Christ. Okay? I want you to think about that for a minute. Because I kind of think we have an issue around this verse. And I think the issue is, we think the word truth means something it doesn't. You see, the law came through Moses. So what is the truth that he's talking about? Have you ever thought about that? Because a lot of people just substitute truth and they go, law. So... There's the law, but then there was grace and the law. No, there was grace and truth. The point of this verse is that, that, that what John is saying, and, and this, you know, we, we, we don't see this because we're not reading the Greek. The point he's saying is that grace and truth are a composite whole. The point he's saying is there's a contrast here between the system of law that came through Moses and Jesus who brought us grace and truth. 
both of them being completely different from law. The law is based on self-effort and what you can do. Grace and truth are based on what Christ has done and your faith in it. There's different systems. And you're going, well, okay, I'm kind of getting that, but, you know, Let let me put it this way. Because a lot of people will argue about this. You know, some people who want to put you back in that whole fear judgment thing. They'll say, well, how do you know that truth isn't law? You're giving me this Greek stuff and saying it's a composite law. Well, well, it is. Okay. So that's point number one. Point number two is this. How could grace and truth come through Jesus... And truth be the law since the law existed before Jesus. The law can't be the truth because the truth comes with Jesus. It comes within his incarnation. It comes with him when he comes to earth. So therefore, the truth that he's referring to cannot be the law that existed before Jesus. It's got to be something different. Now, when when you explore this, and and this is like one of the best-kept secrets when you read theological books and commentaries, when you explore this, you find out that what Jesus is, what what that actually says is that what came through Jesus is grace, the true reality. The law was a shadow of what was to come and grace was the true reality of what what the heavenly status is because of the victory of the cross of Christ. So grace is the true reality. Grace and truth. Truth is grace. The grace that came is the truth. It's the true reality. That's what it's saying. Let me read you a, let me read you a commentary, then you know what I have to deal with. Um, this, is, this is actually good. It's good, but you know, it's got long words in it. Are you glad that you don't have to read these things and I do it for you? Here we go. This is from the, the pulpit commentary, which is long. The highest manifestation and self-communication of divine love and divine thought came into human experience through Jesus Christ. A vast and wonderful contrast is here made between all the earlier dispensations of which the apostle proceeds to speak. So, making a contrast between what was before. Divine favour and help, the life of God himself in the soul of man, awakens love in response to divine love. The divine thought so made known as to bring all the higher faculties of man into direct contact with true reality are an enormous advance on law-giving. The appropriate human response to law is obedience. The appropriate human response to love is of the same nature as itself, nothing less than love. He who loves has fulfilled the law and gone way beyond it. The only adequate response to divine truth is faith and love. I think that's a fantastic commentary. But that's not what we're preaching. It's not the good news we're showing people. You ask anybody out there, they think God is just so mad with them and hates them and never wants anything to do with them. And you ask 60, 70% of people in churches, they think God's so mad at them. And they're trying to put it right. And that's good. But you can't put it right if you're not taught the way to put it right. You see, the really sad thing is there's 
thousands and hundreds of thousands of believers who desperately want to live free and walk right with God and aren't being told how to do it. In fact, they've been told how not to do it. And they're trying the how not to do it and it's not working for them because there's no freedom. And they get stuck with pornography. They get stuck with alcohol addictions. They get stuck with sexual addictions. They get stuck with all sorts of things. So how do you go from defeat to victory? How do you break that cycle? First thing, you know you are a new creation. You've got a new heart with new desires. Now, I could preach on that. As you know, I could preach on that for weeks because I did earlier in the year, but I'm not doing it now. Two, three, Corinthians five seventeen says everything has been made new, that you are a new creation, you are a new species of being, you have a new heart, and that heart, the spirit in that heart, is one with the spirit of Christ. You've been born again. You're not the same person you were. And, and, and the first thing we need to do is see ourselves that we're not that person. So you know, I am. The, so I'm taking it for example, because you don't know what my issues are. But I am not addicted to pornography. I am not that person. I am not addicted to alcohol. I am not that person. Why? Because I'm the righteousness of Christ. I can overcome this because the spirit of Christ lives in me and he has set me free. And I, the, the life I now live is the life of Christ lived through me. Yeah. I don't have to do this. And, but, you know, unless we know that, we can't believe it. And it's only when we believe it and act in line with it that it changes. And the devil's done a really good job of convincing Christians that they aren't a new creation. They're just a tidied up old creation that needs to redecorate the prison cell. But Jesus didn't redecorate your prison cells. He blew the doors right off the hinges and told you to walk out. It's our issue if we sit there in our prison cells saying I'm captive. Because we haven't realised the doors have been blown off. And we can walk free. So the first thing is to know it. The second thing is to realise that Jesus took all the punishment for your sins. You. Now you go, well, I know that. But that means you are not bound by guilt, shame and condemnation. You have been set free by faith from guilt, shame and condemnation and put right with God. That means you are not to live under it. You are to walk above it and beyond it. The third thing you do is believe. The just shall live by faith. Galatians says, as you first believed, so walk you in it. As you first believed, so walk you in it. You, You believed, you received, you became born again by faith, so walk in the same way. So when temptation comes, when, when you get hit by this stuff, what do you say? You look at truth. You go, I'm a new creation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm determining that I'm going to walk by my spirit and not by my flesh. And therefore, because I'm walking by my spirit, I don't have to come under this. You've got no hold on me, Satan. So you take your lies. You, you take everything you, you've got going on in my head right now. And you go, get yourself and you go packing. Because the life of Christ is in me. 
And the fruit that's in me is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's who I am. You are not going to convince me otherwise. And it's about time we started getting a bit more aggressive for our our own lives and telling the enemy this when he comes with his rubbish. And he goes, well, look at what you're doing. Look at how you are. That's the old me. That's my flesh. I don't have to walk according to that. I walk by my spirit. And I'm telling you right now, I'm moving on. You do it when the temptation comes, not at the end. You know, that's a mistake that some of us make. We, we, we got this like, until it's too late. And then we go. Oh. I don't know why we do that. But, you know, like, I'm on a diet, by the way. Yeah, I, I've, I've lost 12 pounds. I'm going on holiday. Let's see how I look when I come back. <laughs> So it's like, it's like this. Um, okay, I'm not eating chocolate. Okay? Oh, that is really sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So I'm not having any chocolate. I'm, I'm not going near any shops that sell chocolate. I'm definitely not going to Sainsbury's or anywhere. No, that's her. She goes to waiters. Well, it wouldn't really matter if I went to Sainsbury's, would it? And it wouldn't really matter because I'm not going to walk down the chocolate aisle. Well, if I did go to Sainsbury's and I did go to the chocolate aisle, it wouldn't really matter, would it? Because I can beat all that. Well, it wouldn't really matter unless there was a special offer. (laughs) And that that big block of dairy milk for a pound is looking kind of good now. But I I I can beat that. I can resist that. Well, I could just buy it and put it in the fridge till my diet's finished. (laughs) You know, you can't be too strict with these diets, can you? It won't really matter if I just have one piece, will it? Or or two pieces. Or, or, oh, the whole block's gone. (laughs) Well, I need to buy another one to put in the fridge now. (laughs) You see, we don't do it, but I'm a new creation. I can walk free of this. you walk free at the start when the thought comes. You, 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 you take the thought captive and you get your mind renewed. That's not my thought. That's the enemy's thought or that's my flesh speaking and I don't come under my flesh because I am a spirit being. And I have the victory over this through Christ who died for me so I could walk free of this. Have we got that? Why is believing and declaring like that so important? Because sin has no ability to take root in you when you are conscious of your right standing. Hebrews tells us that the law had no power because it made us sin conscious. When we are righteousness conscious and we know who we are, sin has no power to take root in us. Because it's part of our dead man, not our alive man. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says this. Awake to righteousness and sin no more. It doesn't say sin no more and you'll become righteous. It says awake to who you are and you'll sin no more. The, The message version puts it really, I think, really nice. So can we put the message version up? 
Think straight. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to think straight from now on. None of that rubbish thinking. Think straight. Awaken to holiness of life. No more playing fast and loose with resurrection facts. We play fast and loose with what Christ has done and we mess it all up. It's simple. He died for you. He took the punishment for your sins. He set you free. He broke you out of this prison cell. You walk free. He broke that cycle of sin and condemnation. So stop playing fast and loose with it, putting yourself back under it and thinking you can do it. He does it. Ignorance of God is a luxury you can't afford. Ignorance of this is a luxury you can't afford because you will be kept bound and condemned as long as you're ignorant of it. Aren't you embarrassed how you have let this... Oh. (laughs) How have you let this thing go on as long as you have? Are you embarrassed? Because... The truth that sets you free has been there all along. And we've been listening to the wrong voices. We've been listening to the enemy. We've been listening to the legalists. We've been listening to the Pharisees around us. It's not sin. He's He's light. It's sin will destroy your life, but you can walk free. Grace doesn't cover sin. It obliterates sin. Here's the cycle of victory. When temptation comes, you practice righteousness consciousness. That allows you to reign over sin. You have a life of increasing victory. So every time temptation comes, it has less and less of a hold on you because you're righteousness consciousness. You know who you are and you're equipped for victory. Amen? Amen. Let me read you this, if I can find it. Remember I told you the story at the start of the talk about... the person trapped in pornography. Dear Pastor, I've been delivered from a 40-year addiction to pornography. In the past, I'd tried to break free from this addiction by my own power and in my own strength, but I failed every time. Throughout this time, the devil has used this addiction to heap fresh Fear, guilt and condemnation on me. This fear and shame kept me from asking for help from pastors of the various churches I attended over the 40-year period. I had even held leadership positions in some of those churches. Through receiving the revelation of grace, I got a fresh revelation of who I am in Christ that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It was through this fresh revelation that the grip of this addiction was broken off my life forever. I now wear a ring on my left middle finger 
to remind myself that I am righteous, as righteous as Jesus, that there's no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus and that I'm perfect and holy in God's sight. Every time the devil tries to tempt me to view pornography, I look at the ring to remind myself that I am the righteousness of God in Christ and the temptation loses its hold on me. Amen. Amen. So, I said we were going to come back full circle. Can I have the, the worship team back up? We're going to do some prayer ministry, but the point is to bring it back full circle. Why is it so important that we preach the right gospel? Why, why am I so focused on that? Why is it so important we know we are saved by grace through faith and it is grace that sets us free from sin that because we're the righteousness of Christ? It's his empowering in our life. It's taking thoughts captive to the truth of who we are. It's walking free, walking out those prison doors where that have been blown off the hinges yeah. instead of sitting there and trying to sort ourselves out, we let him sort us. So instead of distancing ourselves from God, and each time we fail, we distance further, we run to him, and we run to his love, and we run to his heart, and we run to his forgiveness, and we say help. To find grace in our time of need, we go boldly before the throne of God, knowing that Christ has opened that door, and there's no condemnation for us. So why is it so important that we preach that and teach that and know it? Because I am not ashamed of the gospel. And you're not going to make me ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the only power of God to bring salvation. Amen. It's the only power of God to change anything. There is no power to be free without it. So I'm not going to be ashamed to preach it. And I'm going to defend it to the hilt. Amen. 